Good morning. I always liked asking that just to find out who's actually with me. So are you with me? Thanks, Dan. I appreciate that. Okay, so Linda and I are relatively new on staff here. We came to OVV about two and a half years ago. And um, we had been a few times, but we're still trying to figure out, you know, what, what this place is about and how it works. And if you're new here, you kind of figure out that there's kind of a rhythm and kind of not a rhythm. And, and God always seems to smile on no matter what happens, like that complete random testimony time that was unplanned. And yet Sharona is like, oh, no, I want you to go and share. And it's like it was all orchestrated. That happens here a lot. So it's kind of an interesting blend of our planning and God superseding all of our planning. So you try to figure out what is OVV about. So we've been um, learning and as we've been on staff just uh, in the team meetings, we started going over some of the OVV core values, which really identify us as to who we are. Um, so one of the core values is that we went over just this Tuesday is this one called Relationship Over Religion. And I'll try to make this as interesting as I can. I'll try to do in fluctuations in my voice. I might even try to do a little joke in there. But my wife is my number one fan, and she told me that she said, honey, stick to stories when you teach you're really boring. So I, I, I want to tell you that I don't have a lot of stories, so this might be just really boring. But I want to tell you ahead of time, I was really, I was really interested because I don't have like a little file of, oh, yeah, I'll pull this out of drawer number 101, first of all, because I'm a chaotic filer to begin with. I wouldn't be able to find the drawer. And the second thing is that if I've done it once, I don't want to do it again. So I asked myself this question, what makes Christianity so offensive? Like I even look around in this you know, cafetorium here, and we have something with the Islamic Muslim faith, and we have something here over with um, uh, you know, the LBGT gay lifestyle and promoting that. But in many places, if you were to put something up with a, with a guy or a girl uh, promoting Christianity, it would be taken down. And I'm not saying that like, oh, you know, vote for Trump and Christianity will be returned. No, no, nothing like that. I was just kidding. I went, boy, Leanne, you really responded well to that one. That was great. Somebody is alive. I like this. So, but I, I kind of picture like, why is there this resistance to Christianity as if it's wrong, as if it's the one that's offensive to others and yet others we embrace, because each one of them has their issues that could be offensive to other religions. So this core value, first paragraph says, fundamentally Christianity isn't a religion. A religion is defined as a system by which people make sacrifices to try to earn approval or blessings from God. It's a list of things to do to make him like us more. Christianity is actually about a relationship with God, initiated by God, enabled by his loving sacrifice for us. So in summary of that first paragraph, Christianity isn't a religion. We don't earn approval or blessings from God. There isn't a list of things that he wants us to do to make us ha make him happy or please him. Now, at some point, I really do want to do part two of this message because most of my life was about me still trying to please God as a Christian. And I had a list so long. I mean, I'm sure there was a thousand things. What Bible I read, how long I had long hair, how long my hair was, what I wore to church. I mean, it was an endless list that somehow God was up there thinking, look at him today. Hey, guys, take a look. He's not approved. And it was still me trying to please this unpleasing God. And God forbid when I would sin, because then I would have to spend the day trying to rectify myself and make it right. And I'd start all over again the next morning trying to do it right for God. 
It's nothing like that at all. That's what makes Christianity so unique. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with God. He initiates it. We respond. A relationship only possible through the death, burial, and resurrection, which is unique only to Christianity, of Jesus. The founder, the one that talks about it, dies for it. It's unique to Christianity. When you talk about an interactive faith, I love. Sharona, thank you for, for sharing. I love your honesty. You're driving from Arnprior, and you have this voice speaks to you. It says, I want you to talk to Aaron, and I want you to share today. Meanwhile, Aaron's over here, and I do know what was said at this staff meeting, and there was no planning in that. I'll tell you, there's no planning, and he always gets away with it. I don't know how that happens, but it works, so God bless you. So he kind of comes up here with faith and just says, okay, so we're going to have a testimony time. We want somebody to share, and Sharon's like, oh, pick me. Pick me. I'm just dying to tell you what God said, and it's like, who but God orchestrates that, right? And it was really powerful what she shared. That was really excellent. So thank you. Thank you, James and Alan and Tiffany, for sharing what you shared as well. So Jesus, while he's walking on the earth, he's talking to his disciples, and it's quoted the Gospel of John. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, back then, that was a really disturbing statement because he had the religious people all around, particularly the Jews, who were doing their best to come to God, to please God. And he is saying, no one can come to him but through me. And that statement seems to be like the lightning rod today that is still offensive. What do you mean he is the only way? What about other ways? Why does he say that? Great question. So it was a disturbing statement then. I'd say it's a disturbing statement now. Is he the only way? There's no other way? So why does he say he's the only way? So I did what I think you would do. I started to look at a highlight, a high level, look at some of the other religions and think, well, what is different about Christianity than some of the other religions? So I looked at Buddhism, and this is just a snapshot of Wikipedia. It's not like I'm an expert in foreign religious studies or something like this. I really, like, don't ask me too much, but, you know, you can Google it as well and find out what I know. It actually means to awaken. So it's based around good moral teaching It's a change generated by our best effort. That's the key. Change by our best effort. Buddha never claimed to be God, and he died like any other man. He just died. That was it. There's no supreme God, and there's a belief that how we live determines our next life. So there's not really death. There's just a sense of lives based on accumulated karma, which is your destiny or fate. So it's just kind of this ongoing, another life, another life, another life. Related to that is Hinduism, similar area of the the world where they, they are, and it's closely related to Buddhism, where you make your best effort to be free from your cycle of reincarnation by ridding yourself of bad karma by doing good. Be better than your past life. Supreme God, though, is recognized and worshiped and acknowledged as well as some lesser gods. So there's a supreme God and some lesser gods. There's a better life inside of each one of you, but you have to find it. It's waiting to be discovered. And so this state of enlightenment, this higher level, is achieved through a series of good deeds from one life to the next. And once this is achieved, the rebirth cycle is broken, and our final step to heaven occurs. Huge growing faith today movement is the Muslim faith. And... um, It's interesting that in all these religions, they are very much opposed to being converted. So they, too, think that they're the only way. 
just as a side issue. In most Muslim countries, especially like Saudi Arabia and places like that, you're not allowed to evangelize at all. Places like India, it's very difficult to, to talk to somebody that's Hindu if you're a Christian because of how divisive it is in the land there, just because of their, their religious issues there. But Muslim faith, your good deeds outweigh your bad. So actions, well, I used to help out at a little store downtown Ottawa, and across the street was a mosque. And on Fridays, it was unbelievable how many people would jam the parking lot and the street because they would go there on Fridays, they'd take off their shoes, they'd go in and they'd worship. Um, so they'd often go early in the morning, middle of the day, late at night. The place was always hopping. It was a real mess. Tore it down. But you'd go on pilgrimages, perform good deeds. Ramadan, they fast all day and for long periods of time. They abstain from alcohol and gambling and all sorts of activities. Even um, it's good to be a martyr if you're in the Muslim faith. And in the last days, Allah will resurrect everybody, and they will be judged on whether or not they believe that the one true God is Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. That's an interesting phrase because in ISIS, in Syria, places like that, when they come across Christians, if you want to save your life, that is one phrase that you're told to say. There is one true God and Allah, um, is Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. And if you say that, that makes you a Muslim. You're converted. So they wouldn't kill you. So Muhammad, interestingly enough, died of a fever at the age of 63. He had 13 wives, and as far as I could count, he had seven children. That's a lot of wives. Um, anyway, and in the religion, there are seven levels of heaven awaiting you, depending on this life and your former life, how that all worked out. And prior to the resurrection into this new life, if you were a bad person while living, then you would suffer unceasingly, like Christian faith would call hell, in, in your death until paradise came. Another religion to look at is uh, Judaism. And it, I found it interesting because I read a blog about um, a rabbi telling his congregants as to why they don't need Jesus. And I thought, well, that's interesting because I'm looking at this from a perspective that says, why you do need Jesus. So how interesting to actually read why you don't need Jesus. And this is a quote. Um, and I realize you can misquote, but man, I, I was just quoting it. I thought it was quite good. He says, I mean, quite clear what he says. It's basically, this whole journey is entirely up to you. If you do good, you'll get good. You control your sin. Now, when I see that, I just want to ask you, how, how are we doing with that faith? You know, with this, how are you doing with controlling your sin? Most of us fail miserably. So if that's my requirement to make it to heaven, I don't stand a chance. I might as well just live a rip-snorting life right now and do everything bad because I'm never going to make it if you base it on me not sinning. I know certain foods I'm not supposed to eat. But when I smell them, see them, or taste them, I'm hooked and I'm into it. I know I'm just an easy tip-over for something like that. So if you have to base that, me trying to earn my way to heaven, give it up now, boy. Give it up. So the Another thing the rabbi said was, as long as you keep the Torah, you are righteous. So in the Jewish faith, there's no concept of the afterlife per se. It's no set concept of it. There's a, an awareness of what it could be, but not like we believe heaven, streets of gold, and that sort of thing. And, and the resurrection of the dead will occur after the Messiah comes. And that's based on, again, whether or not you have been good enough. So the Christian faith, Jesus comes along. 
And he teaches that none of us could ever keep these requirements. None of us are good enough. None of us can keep the law. In Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus says that instead of us trying to keep all of this, he comes to fulfill it. So Jesus fulfills all the requirements that the law puts upon us. Jesus says, I have come to fulfill that. Romans, which was written by Paul, who had an encounter with Jesus. He wasn't uh, uh, alive when Jesus was walking the earth, but he had an encounter with Jesus and became a follower of Jesus. He writes in the book of Romans, he says that none of us is righteous. All of us have turned away, and none of us do good. He goes on to say in that passage in Romans 3, verse 9, whether Jew or Gentile, no matter which religion you are, all of us are under the power of sin. Isaiah, which is an Old Testament prophet, hundreds of years before Christ, in Isaiah 64, verse 6, says, we are infected and impure with sin. How can we do anything good when that's who we are? When we display our righteous deeds to God, Isaiah goes on to say, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind, says the prophet. So Jesus, he comes along, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He hasn't even died yet when he says this, but he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he dies to free us, you and me, all men, from our attempts and efforts to please God, from our attempts to earn his approval, to do just the right thing to make him happy. By dying on the cross for us, for me, that in itself makes me pleasing to God. It makes me right. Period. All other religious leaders died. Their death accomplished nothing. Jesus died, and his death and resurrection accomplished a complete change in what happened with the law and with us. We have freedom. We don't earn it. We believe it, and we receive it. That is the hard part, because most of us, in fact, I'd say all of us, don't think we're good enough for this. How can it be true? What's the catch? So as you know, I work at a ministry called One Way Ministries. Every once in a while, we put on something for pastors. We put on a pastor's appreciation event, and always they're nervous when you first do it. Always, because there's no catch. We're not asking them for money, nothing. We just want to bless them. And they're so nervous. You have to reassure them, look, there's no catch. We're not going to ask you for money. We're not going to ask you to sign up for anything. We just want to give you a really nice evening and bless you. And after a while, they begin to think, you really just aren't, no, there's no catch. There's no little card on your seat that's going to make you sign up for something. Nothing. We want to bless you. Who does that? And there is no catch. So Jesus says there's no catch to believing. Like what you can do. Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter 2, verses 4 to 10 says, in summary, basically, Jesus loves us so much that though we, you and I, were dead because of our sins, God gives us life when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. In raising Christ from the dead, he too raises us from the dead and raised us from the dead. So interesting phrase in Ephesians here. God raised us. Who? God. Who did the work? God. Not me. God. God raised us from the dead. We didn't do a thing to make this happen. And it goes on to say that God has seated us 
those who believed and have accepted this truth, with Christ in the heavenly realm. So he has placed us with Christ in heaven. Wow. United with Christ. Such an incredible wealth of grace and kindness shown to us. And in verse 8, grew up quoting this verse, really never understanding it. God saved me by his grace when I believed. I can't take credit for it. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for good things, it goes on to say in verse 9. It's not a reward for good things we've done in any way. So none of us can boast about being saved. We receive it. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It's not based on how good I've been. In verse 10, I love verse 10. It says, and so as a result of this, you and I are God's masterpiece. He creates us new. Old things are past. All things are new. Wow. That's an amazing core value. (laughs) That's a core value of what we believe here. Because it's straight out of the scriptures. So if you want to continue on that page, we're going to do uh, the next two paragraphs here. And it says, in Jesus, he's already given us everything, which is what we've just heard in the scriptures here. He's given us everything truly important in life so that what could we possibly give to pay him back for that? Understand that healthy Christian sacrificial living must always be motivated by genuine adoration and gratitude rather than fear, guilt, or ambition. Keeps us safe and keeps Christian life full of peace and joy. Jesus gives us everything we need. He makes us new. In Romans 11, verse 35, it says that there's nothing we can do, absolutely nothing we can do to pay him back. The amazing fact is this, that God loves you when you hated him. And he loves you, loved you so much then, no matter what you do now, that love can't be changed because it can't be changed. It is absolutely absolute. So many, many, many times in my life, I was earning my way to please God. And he's kind of looking at me thinking, Doug, you don't have to do that. It doesn't make any difference. And I'm amazed. I meet primarily with men uh, in the ministry I work with uh, in the city. And when I do, I'm amazed by how the most common thing men do is they fail. And they try to make it right, somehow cleanse or redeem or offer a sacrifice in some way, do some right good thing for God, and usually wait till the next day to start all over again and hope that they can make it better the next day. Instead of God just says, my son, nothing changes. When you sin, I see it. But I see the sacrifice that's been paid for you. And I welcome you. I always welcome you. Sin doesn't separate us anymore. The price has been paid. You can't pay it. I just simply invite you to come. Repent. Turn of your ways again and come back to me. That's too good to be true. What's the catch? Price has been paid. I struggle with that. I mean, there's nothing I can do to make this right. No. What did the son, when he returned back to the father in the prodigal son story, what did he do to make it right? Nothing. He just turned and went back. And that's all Jesus says to you. We just turn from where you're going and come back. We serve God as followers of Christ 
motivated out of a genuine sense of adoration and gratitude. It's not guilt. Man, I've done the guilt thing. It works. It gets people really motivated. I got to tell you, you want to do some real good motivation, try guilt, but it doesn't last. You get burnt out so quickly. Or we do selfish ambition where we try to earn our way, approval from God, approval from man. So we're busy, busy, busy doing all these things. And God is saying, would you just stop doing all those things? I want you to be with me. I want you to have a relationship with me. It's not your effort. You can't earn this. Only God does this. So as we serve in this way, the fruit of living this life of walking with God is love and peace. How do you know you're walking with God? You have love and peace. When you have stress and envy, you're, you're, something's run out of the, in, in the way. And it's always us. So the third paragraph, everything we do is done by invitation. We will try to avoid competition, manipulation, and control. The unpleasant consequences of operating with religious motivations. Doing things invitationally sometimes means it takes longer to get where we're going, but we'll have more fun when we get there. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, always initiates. He spoke to Sharona in the car on the way here. He initiated that conversation. She wasn't thinking this morning, you know, I just feel miserable this week, so I can't wait to get to church so I can share about it. I'm sure that didn't cross her mind. But I love how the Holy Spirit initiates and says, you know what? I want you to share that because people are going to be blessed by it. They're going to be encouraged by it. God initiates. (laughs) I love it. It frees me from having to make it happen, doesn't it? I respond, but he initiates. Now, Sharon, if you didn't share, we wouldn't know that story, would we? So you get to say, no, I'm not. Do you have your hand raised? Wow. I see that hand, brother. I've always wanted to say that. I've never said that. Wow. Wow. The Holy Spirit initiates, doesn't he? (laughs) And it's so much more interesting than us. I have done, yes, oh, this is going, please. Amen. And he always gets the glory. He does get the glory. Oh, we are. When you share, we see him. And that's my heart for these guys sharing on the weekend with the men. Is it's not their story that somehow is going to motivate you to change. You're going to see God and how he changes lives and makes us whole. The Holy Spirit invites us to participate. I am amazed in these last years of my life. Not that I'm dying. I mean, these last few years of my life. Sounded like all of a sudden, well, that's, this is it. Today's the last day. <laughs> well, wasn't that a great life? Um, no, what I meant to say is as I reviewed the last few years and kind of the changes I've been going through, is I'm actually amazed by one of the phrases that God has given me to see is that he invites me to see. So instead of feeling guilty or duty or bound by, it's an invitation to, pers- to participate in what he's doing. And I am amazed by some of the stuff that he's, he's invited me to see. I'm amazed that I get to be a part of it. I don't deserve to be a part of it, but I am. And I'm just amazed by it. I love it. So he doesn't manipulate us. He doesn't control us. We're not little robots. And he, you know, he forces our mouth to speak. I am speaking. No, I choose to respond to this invitation. What I love about Jesus through the Holy Spirit is that he says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. 
I actually came into the world to convict the world of their sin. There's huge difference. So the Holy Spirit convicts us and says, hey, you know what? You're getting off track here. I want to bring you back on track. But it's not sort of like this wormy thing that I just feel so awful. I feel actually really secure when he says, you're you're getting off track, but I want to bring you back. It's all about my love. He leads us back into wholeness and doesn't condemn us. The Holy Spirit never, ever uses shame, ever. Conviction, yes. Shame, no. Cheap paper. In the teen years, when I was growing up, my father was a full-time worker and guilt, manipulation, all that kind of stuff was there. And, you know, if you want to be a good Christian, this is what you do. And so I was being the good Christian thing. And I signed up for something which actually had its payoff because eventually I met my wife through this organization. So, whoo! But the first few little bits of it were kind of like really, like, this is really bad. And one of the things I had to do was I went down to the beach in New Jersey, which in the summertime is like white sand beach, you know, and this has got to be God. But instead, they made us go out and we had to do these evangelism surveys. I don't know if you're from that era of time, if you even know what on earth I'm talking about, but they were, they were kind of dreadful, actually. But you'd go up to somebody and say, hi, I'm just taking a religious survey, and would you mind answering a few questions? And, and they ask all these good questions. We asked all these good questions. But when it came to kind of, you know, the punchline, we know where we're going to get you, got our little booklet ready, we're going to convert you. Um, it, was, uh, it says, you know, suppose Jesus, you picture Jesus at the gate, And he says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your reply be? And you kind of get used to their answers of being, well, you know, I've been really a good person. I've never really broken any of the commandments. And he would just say to me, like, yeah, come on in. You've been good. And everybody would say the same thing. And it was kind of like standard. Now, we were in a nice, white, middle class, upper class, New Jersey. Everything's good. Could you imagine if they plunked me down in a prison? (laughs) And I said, so if Jesus says, why should I let you in? I'd be like, well, I don't want to say what I think they'd say because this is a nice place. But I could imagine they wouldn't say the same response. None of them would actually say, well, I think I've been good enough. I'm in freaking prison. I know I've not been good enough. I don't know how to get there. Tell me how. Do you see the difference? So Andy Stanley, um, a friend of mine, loaned me this series that he teaches on. And he asks question, this question regarding evangelism. And he said, how good is good enough? How do you know you've been good enough? And none of us, none of us in any of these religions know that we've been good enough to make it to heaven. There's always this, well, I need to try harder. Because when have I made it? Don't know. There's one time, and I probably shared this a few years ago, but it still stuns me, breaks me. Because I was raised, and when I say white, I don't mean skin color, I mean culture. The arrogant middle class, better than everybody else. I was raised as a Christian, better than everybody else. And quite, quite frankly, we, we were the only ones going to heaven. I mean, that's how sure we were of our faith. We thought maybe a few Methodists were going to make it. We weren't quite sure. God knew the vineyard wouldn't be part of them. They were just too, like, they didn't exist back then. But that was just, that's too off the wall. And... I'm being funny, but really serious. We we knew who the unchristians were. They colored their hair. I mean, I'm serious. They wore earrings. We knew. We knew who they were. So I came, I still had a lot of this attitude inside of me thinking that I'm better than other people. But a moment, and I've had a few of these moments, was sitting at a table at Jericho Road where I volunteer, and I was having a meal with the guys. And to the right of me, a guy said to me, he said, I've broken 
all the commandments. And I thought, <laughs> like five or six of them, I think everybody's broken, but there's a couple that I'm a little uncomfortable that I'm sitting beside you as you're telling me that story. <laughs> and I'm sitting beside at a table with men that have sold themselves into prostitution to pay for drugs. Men who have been abused and abused. Men have used, used others, broken relationships are the, in many ways, the lowest of the low. Have nothing to show for their lives but brokenness. And I'm sitting around a table having a meal welcomed by God. It's no different. That just broke me in a good way. See, all of my efforts mean nothing to him. All of my achievements mean nothing to him. At the core, he sent Jesus for the murderer, for the adulterer, for the abuser, for the abused. He sent Jesus for the self-righteous man that didn't even know he needed him so that Jesus could free us from ourselves. It's grace. I'm welcomed at the same table because of Jesus. I believe I cannot save myself that Jesus died to save me through his death, burial, and resurrection. All the claims that the law had against me are satisfied. I cannot please him. He is the one that makes me pure and pleasing and new. The summary of these core values can be seen in Romans 12, and it says, in view of all that he has done for us, in this understanding of his mercy and grace, we let God have our lives just as we are. We don't try to clean it up because we can't. We let him have us just as we are. For him to transform us into a new person. For him, for his purposes, by his spirit. It's not motivated by our efforts. He changes the way we think. He renews our mind. He makes all things new. I'm tired of some of these self-help Christian books. I used to sell them, forgive me. I don't think I can repay my way out of that one, but we sold them. They helped pay for the rent. But so many of them were, you change you. And I would get frustrated realizing I can't change me. He changes me. He changes the way that I think. He gets down to the core and says, Doug, you're acting this way because of brokenness in your life. You're still trying to please your father. And I am your father. You can't please me. You already are pleasing. Stop your efforts and receive what I've done. Well, that renews my mind. Brother Lawrence, if you've ever heard of him, wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. Lived in the 1600s in Paris, France. He was a, a monk. Um, forget the order he was, but doesn't mean too much for us unless we're Catholic. But he was best known for his expressions of intimacy between himself and God. And he wrote this, a great quote. Lord, I'm devoted to thee. Make me according to thy heart. I'm devoted to thee. Make me according to thy heart. Romans 12, our response. In view of all this, I cannot please God. Period. All of my attempts, they're still filthy rags. They're still my efforts. I can't please them. I don't need to. I already am pleasing. I can't make him love me. Nothing changes. He loves me as much now as he's ever loved me. 
When I didn't know him, he loved me. Now that I know him, he loves me the same. Jesus has made me acceptable, paid the price. There's nothing left for me to do but believe, accept, and receive and offer my life fully to him. Lord, I'm devoted to thee. Make me according to thy heart. Amen. It's good, eh? This is why Jesus is so different. He says, I've come to free you from all of your efforts. All the other religions you keep trying and hope you'll be good enough and you never will be. And Jesus says, I've paid it all. You don't have to. My wife and I were, um, she was knowing what I was going to talk about. And uh, she came across an amazing quote by Rick Warren, if you know of him from Saddleback Church. She said, if I lived in California, I'd go to this guy's church. And we've been there. It's an amazing church. It's like a huge campus, and there's like six or seven churches and thousands and thousands of people. go. He's a really, really good teacher. And we came across this great quote on summarizing on what I've just talked about. So I went to her, and I said, we should print it out and hand it out to everybody. But when we went to check the copyright, we realized all this stuff is copywritten. So I couldn't hand it out to you. But, you know, then there was this funny little thing that happened. She then sent me an email. She was in the back bedroom. I was in the front kitchen. It's too far to walk. So she sends me an email, and she says, too funny, honey. It's not Rick Warren. It was written by Jake Warren. In our OVV thing that came out this week, which some of you don't even know we get. It's right there where you can also sign up for the men's weekend wives. Um, it's right there. So there's actually this OVV article, blog, that Jake has written, which beautifully summarizes exactly what I've been talking about. Isn't that amazing? Kind of a, and it's not copywritten. You can print it. I asked Jake ahead of time. He's hall monitor right now. He said, go ahead. You can do anything you want with it. So go ahead and print it. All right, so when you leave, you're welcome to take this beautifully printed. Thank you, Linda. I have no idea. I use magic marker. I don't know how to do any of this stuff, but she does. That's why the church has her do that, do that and that's why I love having her around as well, many other reasons. Um, did the nice little graphic at the top. It's all of us being linked together. It's beautiful. Um, so keep the core values. Go over them. We're going to go over them a few more different core values. That's the only one I really know right now, but I'm sure there's more that we're going to learn. And uh, in all seriousness, if today we've been talking about and you realize uh, you really don't know this Jesus, we'd love to talk. Aaron, Sharona, myself, Linda, any of us would just love to talk to you about more and more about Jesus. Uh, again, a reminder about the men's weekend coming up. I promise you that my heart is that it be really, really real. I was sharing just a little bit earlier that it was a real struggle for me for this. I do men's weekends all the time, and this one was one of the hardest ones. I couldn't get my brain around. I couldn't get into it. And on Tuesday, we shared, we prayed. And it was just like absolutely God broke through. And I'm just so excited by what God's going to do. And realize that I think a lot of it was the opposition of the enemy with what God wants to do with the men here um, at OVV. I hope to next time be able to talk a bit more about how to live out this life. Lessons I've learned from just me trying to please God and realizing I can't please God. And what it's like to live just knowing he's pleased with me. Closing, I just want to tell you one little story. I was walking to a conference in New York City. It was an emotionally healthy spirituality conference. I was walking with three or four other people. And I always try to saddle up with somebody so they don't feel left out. So I'm walking along with this guy, and he's chatting away, and he's dominating the whole conversation. And it's just painful to me. 
but I'm thinking he really needs his course, let me tell you, he needs emotional health. But when I got there and I was sitting in the auditorium, I just had a little picture of me walking down the streets of Queens, New York. Literally, just what we had just done. Kind of a little flashback to what I was doing. And I heard Jesus just speak to me in that church congregation. And he just said to me, Doug, thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for listening to that man. You do it for me. I didn't do it to earn approval. I didn't really even think Jesus was watching. But he was. And he just said, thank you. That's relationship, isn't it? It's not striving. It's relationship. Father, thank you for sending us Jesus. That we could have this real, vital relationship with you through Jesus. Thank you for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, which invites us and leads us and speaks through us and to us. God, we're so grateful that this is not based on our effort because we know in ourselves, in the core of who we are, we know we are never, ever going to be good enough. But you make us whole. Thank you for the salvation. I pray today that, that really if there's somebody that recognizes that, that this is not my experience, we've all been there, I pray that they will really consider, listen, ask, and that you will reveal the truth of this fabulous, life-changing work of Jesus. We are saved by grace, not of any of our works, but you alone. We love you. We adore you. And this love and adoration motivates us to share and to live our lives for all to see you in us, the hope you bring us and are to this world. So thank you for this time this morning, Father. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for sweet worship, for sweet testimonies, for good fellowship, and just for proving that you're with us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you all. And uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>